0: All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 16, John chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse number 16, as is always the case if you didn't carry a Bible in here with you. There's one in front of you in the seat somewhere, black book there, and you can follow along there if you'd like. And if you don't own a Bible and need one, take that one with you. John chapter 16. Verse number 16, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says, a little while, we do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow, because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy... May be full. Let us pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word, and I pray now that you would just help us as we think for these few moments about what it has to say to us this day. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray you'd forgive me for anything that would hinder my usefulness this day and uh, would quench the spirit in my life. Help me, Lord God, to uh, just be filled and used and uh, just an empty vessel for you. And I pray, Lord, that everything I say would be exactly what you once said. I pray you'd give us ears to hear, and I pray, Lord, this message would help some folks today, uh, starting with me, and help us all to think about this wonderful little word that's such an important word in our Bibles, joy. Give it to us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It seems somewhat traditional, doesn't it, to uh, preach a special sermon related to mothers on Mother's Day. Somehow related to the topic of motherhood, some women don't like to come to Mother's Day because they assume that they're going to get nailed with a sermon on the Proverbs 31: Woman. And so I've actually had women tell me they don't come to church on Mother's Day because of that very concern. Others perhaps expect to hear about one of the great, godly mothers in the Bible, Mary or Hannah or Joshebed or somebody like that. That I frankly always struggle with the idea of preaching a message about motherhood on Mother's Day. And I'll tell you why. As I have spent the majority of my adult life in some form of ministry or other, and as I have interacted with people, men, women, boys and girls, in so many different ways, families, both saved and unsaved, I've come to learn that for many people, many people, this is just not a happy day. It's a hard day. If you're one of those one of those people whose family is still intact and whose mother is alive and well and serving Jesus and with whom you have a sweet and wonderful relationship that might be difficult for you to get your brain around. But there are many who mourn the loss of a mother on this day. A loss that's felt every single day but more acutely today than any other time during the year. Some ache over a broken relationship with their mother whether that Relationship was always bad or something happened along the way to damage it. Some families have been torn to pieces by divorce. Relationships between mothers and children torn to pieces as well. And then there are those who long to be mothers. And for reasons known only to the God who loves them, he has chosen to withhold children from them. And perhaps the most painful of all, most painful of all, are the mothers who have held children in their arms, only to have them taken away. Mother's Day is not all happy family dinners and carnations and cards, not for everybody. To some, even to many, it can be a time of tears and pain and longing. There is a word in our message, in our passage that we read today that I think helps us this morning. It it does speak of motherhood. Verse number 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And, of course, the verse very specifically speaks about the act of childbirth, that that is painful and distressing in a time of sorrow. But it makes the point that it's only for a short time. And then it is followed by a time of joy and rejoicing in the newborn's birth. And no doubt most mothers here could relate to that truth today. I was present at the birth of both of my children. I felt all kinds of emotions, all kinds of anxiety. But I'm certain that nothing I felt compared to what my wife felt. For her, it was painful. It was agonizing. There were noises. There was stuff. And and when they handed that, frankly, slimy little newborn to me, I, I felt a rush of joy. I confess it. It was a joyous occasion. It, it can't be dispersed. But then they took that baby and they laid it on her breast. And when I saw the look on her face when they did that, and she looked for the first time upon that baby, I, I, I realized I didn't have any idea what joy was. Compared to that, the look on her face right then defined joy at that moment. So indeed, verse number 21 does give us a beautiful picture about childbirth and motherhood. But in reality, the passage we read today is not about motherhood. Jesus was using that to illustrate for us a much larger truth and and, and a much bigger point. A point that really pertains to all of us, whether we're mothers or not, whether we're male or female, whether our experiences have been blessed. Or painful, whether this day hurts or helps, all of us can take hope in what Jesus was talking about here in this passage. Pain and sorrow might come for a while, a little while, he said, but that's only a little while, and joy is coming, and it will be forever. So let's tackle this passage just a little bit today and see if there's anything here that will help us today. And I want to tackle it two ways. Let's ask ourselves two questions. Number one, what did Jesus mean here? And then we'll move on to what can we learn from it? First of all, what did Jesus mean? This passage was uh, taking place, I mean, when Jesus spoke these words, uh, he was in the upper room with the disciples. Actually, John chapters 13 through 17 all took place in the upper room. In John chapter 13, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. He had instituted the Lord's Supper. We just observed the Lord's Supper a moment ago. He had instituted that, or communion, if you choose to call it that as well, during this time. John doesn't really speak about that in John chapters 13 through 17, but the other Gospels do. And in John 13, it says that uh, supper being ended, he took the... the the towel and, and, and wash their feet. And so we know that it was all at the same time. And there, during this long discourse that took place in the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. And so what did he mean by that? What do you mean in verse number 16 by that? I mean, obviously, disciples wondered the same question because they were scratching their heads and tearing their hair out trying to figure out what he meant. They're looking at each other and saying, what what was he talking about? We don't understand what he means. A little while and you will see me or not see me in a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. What does he mean? So what did he mean? Well, there are usually a couple of interpretations suggested as to what Jesus meant here by this period of time that he was going to be gone. Possibly he was referring to his impending death and resurrection. That would probably be the first thought that would come to most of our minds. And he was encouraging the disciples whom he knew would suffer intense pain during that time. Some people think that verse number 22 argues for this particular interpretation. And so if that's right, if Jesus was talking here about his impending death on the cross and then his, his ensuing resurrection and the period of time in between when they would, uh, they would have such sorrow, he was telling them the pain they would feel at the crucifixion would be transformed into joy at the resurrection. That's one thing he might have meant. There's another. Possibly he was referring to the time between his ascension and the second coming. So after he rose from the grave, we know that he ascended back into heaven where he remains to this day. And one of these days he's going to return in the rapture and catch all of, all of us believers up to be with him. And so, uh, some would argue that this, that what he says, what he said here in verse number 16 is talking about that. And especially when you look at the last part, because he said at the very end of the verse, because I go to the Father. That would seem to argue for that interpretation. And so if this interpretation is correct, what he was saying then in this passage was, the sorrow of waiting for Christ's return, would be replaced by the joy of that return. And now, you might say, well, he said a little while. It can't be a little while. But in eternity, in, in, in respect to eternity, the amount of time that has elapsed between Jesus' ascension and when he comes back is indeed just a little while. matter of fact, several verses of Scripture kind of lean toward this way of thinking. Uh, the Bible says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed by, day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Another place, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Hebrews 10.37. So there's two different ways of looking at it. Actually, I found a couple of others as I was studying this, but those are the two that seem the most likely. And valid arguments could be made for either. When Jesus was saying in verse number 16, in a little while, uh, you, you, you won't see me and then you will see me, uh, either one of those things could be. And I think the main point that he was trying to make, which is actually in verse number 20, applies to either of those. So let's look at verse 20 and ask ourselves, what do you mean there? What do you mean there? Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep, And lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. There was, regardless of which of those two interpretations you think is correct, there was going to come a time of sorrow and grief and pain, but it would be short-lived. And soon it would be replaced by joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus was going to die on the cross. And for three days, he was going to lie in the grave. And then on that third day, he was going to rise. If that's what he meant in verse number 16, then there was going to be a little while of sorrow and pain and confusion and dismay. And it would be intense. Put yourself in the disciples' place during that little while that took place between the cross and the resurrection. These were people who loved Jesus, loved him. He was not only their rabbi and their teacher. He was their friend, their beloved friend. And now he was dead. They had rearranged their entire lives around Jesus. They had burned, turned their backs on their uh, their previous lives. They had given up their previous livelihoods. They had burned their bridges. They had walked the plank to throw in with him 100%. And now he was dead. They had identified themselves plainly and very, very publicly and openly with him. And now the very same people who had sought his life and put him on a cross. Uh, they feared those very same people would be after them to put them to death. So imagine the confusion, imagine the sorrow that must have filled their lives during that little while when Jesus lay in the grave. It had to be intense. If that's what he was referring to in verse 16, it had to be intense. On the other hand, if Jesus was talking here about going away and ascending to the Father, Uh, And then one day return, if that's what he's talking about in verse sixteen. And then we all live during that little while right now. And all of the pain and confusion and sorrow that we suffer today uh, is part of that. And he says one of these days he's going to come back, and that little while uh, that sorrow will be transformed into joy. Whatever interpretation we think uh, most fits with verse sixteen, Jesus' ultimate meaning in this passage is pretty clear, isn't it? For a Christian, sorrow might come. It might come for a while. But it will be replaced with joy that lasts for eternity. So that's what Jesus meant, I think. I'm not sure how clear I was with that, but that's what he meant. So let's ask ourselves, what can we learn from it? And I I see several things here that I would suggest we could learn. First of all, we could learn this, and this might seem elementary, but it's there. Sorrow is to be expected. Sorrow is to be expected. Look at verse number 33. Just jump down to the end of the chapter. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Sorrow is to be expected in this life. Acts chapter fourteen and verse twenty-two: We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Sorrow is to be expected in this life. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians: We told you before, when we were with you, that we that we would suffer tribulation. First Thessalonians chapter three. Sorrow is to be expected in this life. I think sometimes when people become a a Christian, when they first trust Jesus Christ, they think that all their trouble, all their pain is going to be erased from their life. And oftentimes when people find that's not the case, they struggle with that. They find out that troubles remain, that old temptations are still there, that old besetting sins still beset, old addictions still pull. And sometimes I think people become disillusioned. And actually, Jesus talked about this, didn't he? He talked about it in his parable of the sower and the soils in Matthew chapter 13. He said, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So Satan wants to tell you that sorrow ain't going to come. And Satan wants to tell you, especially new Christians, that when troubles come along, it's an indication that you're not a believer. That Jesus really wasn't there for you. That none of this stuff is really true. But we can't let Satan trip us up on that. Don't stumble over that. Sorrow is something that is part of the, uh, the life of the believer. Sorrows will come. But, and here's the main thing I think Jesus is telling us here today, sorrow is only for a little while. It's only for a little while. He was repeating a truth that's seen throughout the Scripture. Psalm 126, verse 5, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalm 30, verse number 5, His anger is but for a moment, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah 61, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah the Messiah would comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sorrow is only temporary. Sorrow is only for a little while. So again, think of the, think of the disciples. Think of what they were feeling during that little while when Jesus was dead and his broken body was buried in the grave. And then imagine their unspeakable joy when they saw him alive. Luke described their reactions when they saw him alive and how their sorrow was turned to joy when the pain of the crucifixion was transformed into the joy of the resurrection. Notice what he said. He said, when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. They did not believe for joy. They were overjoyed. They were enraptured. When they saw what, that Jesus was alive. John described that same moment, although I don't think he puts quite as much emphasis on it. John said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. One makes me think of a little smile. The other one makes me think of jumping up and down, absolutely overjoyed. And I think that one is probably a more accurate reaction. We oftentimes picture the. Relationships between Jesus and the disciples in such sterile terms, don't we? We think of them sitting around him in this nice little perfect circle and listening to him teach. Isn't that the way you oftentimes think of the disciples? Or following dutifully behind him in a little line, maybe two by two, as he walked from town to town. We think of that. But you know in that room, when their sorrow was transformed into joy, you know what I think was in that room? I think there was a lot of shouting in that room. I think there was some hallelujahs in that room. I think there was some glory to God in that room. I think there was some tears of happiness. I think there was some hugs or squeezes, as Kathy likes to call them. I think there was some high fives. I think there was lots of laughter in that room. Joy that was taking place. And there was not one moment remaining of the pain or of the sorrow that they had suffered about the crucifixion. That was now old news eclipsed, gone, done away with, transformed by the joy of resurrection. And Christian, can you imagine what it will be like when we see Jesus? I mean, you're going to see him soon, you know, whether or not it's, it's, it's by the rapture or by death. It's only a little while that it remains before we see him. And I don't believe you'll even remember the pain and struggle of this life, whatever it might have been, for the joy you will experience when your eyes, Clap onto his eyes. Jonathan Edwards said, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost, and the best things are yet to come. And this is, of course, what Jesus was trying to convey with his illustration of the mother and childbirth. Labor is painful. It is a little while that no doubt seems forever to her at the time. But then it's over, and the whole experience has transformed Into joy, Warren Wiersbe, who's one of my favorite commentators, I quote from him all the time, and he just went home to be with the Lord just this past week, I think, just a few days ago. Warren Wiersbe wrote about this. He said to the mother, experiencing birth pains, every minute may seem an hour. Our concept of time changes with our feelings. Thirty minutes in the dentist chair may seem like hours, while hours fishing or dining with friends may seem like a very short time. The mother feels as though the birth is taking a long time, when really it may be only a little while. And when the baby has been born, pain is forgotten. as joy fills her heart. Jesus said in verse number 20, Most assuredly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful. But, but, we ought to underline that in our Bibles, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. That's the key truth of this whole passage. That little phrase, a little while, is mentioned seven times in just this one passage. Actually, I think all seven times are just the first couple of verses of this passage. Jesus was saying sorrow would continue for a little while, but then comes joy. Joy. Joy is the expectation of every Christian. Joy is a uniquely Christian experience. At least as described in our text and in much of Scripture. Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness ebbs and flows with our experiences. Joy is not an emotion. It is much, much more. It is a fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, Galatians 5.22 says. Joy comes from being saved. Billy Graham said, no matter what the climate is, what the troubles are, what the difficulties are, there is joy for the child of God because joy is produced supernaturally by the Holy Spirit in us. Principal Rainey said, joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. So what can we learn from all this, from these things Jesus said? Well, we can learn that sorrow is to be expected, but sorrow is only for a little while, and then comes joy. I said I was going to ask you two questions. What did Jesus mean and what can we learn from it? But there is a third one, and I want to conclude with just this third question. Because probably many of you are thinking about it. What about those times when I don't feel joy? What about those times when I am feeling joyless? Is that your state this morning? Joyless. Are you listening to all this and wondering why the Bible would promise such a wonderful thing as joy? And yet you don't think you have it. Where is my joy, Pastor? I don't believe such a thing has ever existed in me. Is that your state today? Where is my joy? I think I had it once, but it's gone. How do I get it back? Is that your state today? I know what joy is, Pastor. I've had it off and on throughout my Christian experience, but it seems to ebb and flow. How can I live in joy, stay in joy, not let Satan steal my joy? Is that you today? I want to suggest just a couple practical thoughts that might help us to live in joy and to maybe answer those questions. Here's number one. Examine yourself whether or not you are really a Christian. Examine yourself whether or not you are a Christian. Everything Jesus said in this passage, everything here was directed at his followers at his disciples, at believers. Joy is something promised to the saved and not to the lost. And so if joy is totally absent from your life, then the very first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I even a Christian? Have I ever truly been saved? Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The older I get in the faith, the more I interact with people in various aspects of ministry, the more I'm convinced that an awful lot of people are fooling themselves. An awful lot of people somewhere along the line came to think that maybe they were going to be a Christian, but they sure aren't living it today, and they never really got it in the first place. That's why Paul says, examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. If there's no joy in your life whatsoever, then there's a reason. And it probably is that you're not saved. You can turn to Christ today, and you can have real joy. The songwriter said, I have found the pleasure I once craved. It is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing. I am saved from the awful gulf of sin. I have found the joy no tongue can tell how its waves of glory roll. It is like a great or flowing well springing up within my soul. It is joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Is that your experience? I'm not asking you if you're happy because you might not be. I'm not always happy. I'm asking you, Whether you have joy unspeakable and full of glory springing up within your soul. Have you ever had it? Do you even know what is meant when I use those words? And if the answer to that, those questions are no, my friend, I I think, I think I can say on the authority of scripture that you almost certainly are not saved. You almost certainly are not saved. And you can find your joy for the first time by trusting Christ, by being saved, by believing and receiving the gift of salvation that he died on the cross to give you. Would you do that today? When we sing in a moment, would you do that today? So that's the first thing I would say. Examine yourself whether you're a Christian. Secondly, examine yourself whether unconfessed sin is robbing you of your joy. Billy Sunday said, If you have no joy in your religion... There's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. The thing is, Christian, you can be born again. And that first point was to the unsaved, but this one is to Christians. Christian, you can be born again. You can be safe. You can be secure in Jesus. You can be saved and and all that and still be joyless. Why? Because sin will rob you of your joy. David was one of the godliest men to have ever lived. (laughs) David loved the Lord. David wrote and and sang most of the psalms that are in our Bible. He walked so close to God and loved God so much that God called him David, a man after his own heart. He so pleased the Lord God that, that God made a covenant with him that his kingdom would last forever, that the Messiah would come from his descendants. David was a godly man. But David was also a sinner, just like you and just like me. A sinner saved by grace. And one day, he sinned grievously. He committed adultery with a woman. And then he tried to cover up that sin by having her husband murdered. Astonishing. And then for at least a year, he lived with that sin in his life. Covered it up. Never confessed it. Until finally, one day, the prophet Nathan came to him and, and confronted him with his sin. And David confessed it and got things right with God. And then afterwards, he wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, he said this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David was saved. Even when he was in the midst of this ridiculous sin, he was saved. Even though he was harboring this unconfessed sin in his life, he was saved all of this time. But he was joyless because sin had robbed him of that joy. So I would say to you this morning, if you know that you're saved, but you wonder where the joy went, there may be sin in the camp that you need to deal with. And you may need to pray as David prayed, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If there's sin, it needs to be dealt with. So examine yourself whether you're, first of all, a Christian. Examine yourself, secondly, whether or not there is unconfessed sin robbing you of your joy. And then finally, examine yourself whether you're praying or not. Examine yourself whether you're praying enough. Notice what Jesus said in verse 24. He said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, this is not rocket science. Jesus said there, pray. Pretty hard to miss his point there. Pray. Jesus plainly said here that prayer brings joy. Pray. Pray. Seeing God answer our prayers is an unmatched source of joy, Jesus said. Pray. And that's a present active imperative, by the way, which means we are to pray and keep praying. It describes persistent prayer that doesn't give up. Pray. Pray. If you have joy but you want more joy, pray more. If you have joy but it kind of ebbs and flows for you, pray more. Examine yourself, whether you're praying enough. A.W. Tozer said, the Christian owes it to the world to have a supernatural joy. Do you have it? Joy. Do you have it? Moms, on this day, I pray for you to have joy. And not only for you, but for all on this day. May God grant us all joy unspeakable. Joy that overcomes all the little wiles of sorrow and pain that we might have to go through joy. Well, Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for this wonderful little word. We're thankful, Father, for what it means. We're thankful for the promise that is there. Lord, and we see that as a promise, what Jesus said there, that uh, we're going to have troubles, we're going to have trials, we're going to have sorrows, but they're only for a little while, such a little while. And then comes joy. Help us today, Father. I pray wherever we might be on this continuum we discussed today, maybe there's some here today who, who need to examine themselves, whether they're even in the faith, whether they've trusted Jesus. Maybe they've never experienced joy. And if that's the case, I pray as we sing, Lord, they would, they would trust you. Whether they step out and come to the front and kneel here and let us explain it to them from Scripture, or whether they just they understand it enough right where they are to just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. Lord, I pray that uh, whatever way they choose, they would trust you this day. Help them, Father, to examine themselves, whether they be in the faith, and if not, help them to trust you this day. And for Christians, Lord, I pray that we'd all examine our own hearts. If joy is is missing from us, we know we're saved, but we're still joyless. And help us, Lord, to look for the sin. I pray you'd turn your searchlight upon us and see where that sin is and help us to get rid of it, that you might restore unto us the joy of our salvation. And help us all, Lord, to find the joy of praying more and seeing you working in our lives. Father, whatever one of these things applies to us, may we make the choices we need to and make things right. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name.